What's going on, folks? So glad that you're here with us. You may be hearing my voice and thinking to yourself, is this some sort of audio takeover? This is not when Steve Fletcher from Small Talks Big Ideas with Steve comes on my 96.3 FM dial frequency, but no, you're not in the twilight zone. You're right here on planet Earth. Things are happening as they should. We're just coming at you at a different time and a different day, switching things up on you. We did the same thing last week. In any case, thank you for being here. Maybe you're driving in your car. Maybe you skipped work early. Maybe you didn't go in at all. Maybe you're just out in a field somewhere with a radio, uh, a ham radio or something. I don't know. Ham radios don't don't take this frequency in. So what are you talking about, Steve? I don't know what I'm talking about. But I do know we've got a heck of a show for you today. Um, again, for the uninitiated, this is Small Talks Big Ideas with Steve. It is a product, a project uh, of Low Country Local First. We are a local economic development nonprofit. We've been around for going on 16 years. We're all about advocating for supporting, connecting local independent businesses. Uh, so we bring in change makers, decision makers, other things that rhyme with Baker into the studio. We talk to them for an hour or as long as they can take me berating them with questions. And hopefully we dig a little bit into what they do, who they are, why they do it, how they're anchored here in the low country. And hopefully somewhere in there we learn a little bit more about your local independent business ecosystem. Enough from me. We're turning the mic, the spotlight, the limelight over to the one and only and I'm going to say his first name. I'm not going to even take a stab at his last name. He gave it to me, so that's on me. But I'm going to let him introduce himself. Femi is here from Graft Wine Shop, based right here in downtown Charleston, South Carolina, on the peninsula. He is the man, the myth, the legend. He's going to tell you a little bit about himself, and then we're going to dig a little bit deeper into who he is as a business owner and as a citizen of Charleston. Femi, I'm going to hand it over to you. Give the people A, the last name, and wow. B, a quick little bio, if you don't mind. <laughs> of course. What's up? <laughs> um, yeah, my name is um, Femi Oyedira, and um, I'm the co-owner of uh, Graf Wine Shop here in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And um, a little bit about me, um, I'm just a man trying to spread the gospel of great wine and a good time mm. with uh, a little side of some great music. So, Ooh, yeah. I'm here for that. <laughs> All right, Femi Oyidiran. 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 He's here. He's spreading some gospel. We're going to give him the pulpit and the mic. Um, I asked him into the studio because, A, he is an important part of the local business ecosystem. He owns a wine shop here, a really cool wine shop at that, very unique in a lot of ways, and we'll dig into that. But I also selfishly invited him in because, as a fellow musician and a man who's got his ear to the soil of the music sphere, Someone who's written music, who's, as we talked about briefly in a little mini pre-interview, has extemporaneously broken out into verse in a once-upon-a-time rap career. Uh, I can tell this guy means what he says when he says he curates his wine lists much like a music playlist. I don't think that's cliche. I think that's of the utmost importance. So I want to, let's start right there, since I'm a big music buff myself, I'm also a fan of a curated hospitality experience. I know that you offer that to the people. Why is it so important to you at your wine store, Graft Wine Shop downtown, to craft a unique experience for your patrons? And what goes into that? Well, you know, <clears throat> hospitality is everything. I think it all kind of starts from there. And when you kind of ask people, what is hospitality? You're taking care of people. That's what we inherently do as, mm -hmm. you know, 
as people that kind of work in, you know, restaurants, hotels, you know, whatever it is that you kind of do where you, you take care of people. And part of the, uh, the idea of taking care of someone is to me is, is curating an experience that allows you kind of to really do that to the best of your ability. Mm. And so when we created graft, we walked in with, you know, the understanding of, okay, we want to, to sell wine to people. And, you know, wine is obviously something that, that we think we do very well because we wanted to open up a, 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 a space where we could celebrate, you know, wine, you know, however we choose to do it. And, so I, 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 you know, the one thing that we walked in knowing beyond that is that, you know, wine itself is, you know, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people don't, um, come into easily, mm-hmm. or at least a lot of my friends, they're not particularly excited sure. about wine in the way I am. Yeah. And there's a barrier there. Yeah. For there's some a people. barrier of entry for a lot of people. Sure. And I've always found that to be kind of strange, right? Mm. Because, you know, as a wine professional, you know, it would, it's to my benefit that people buy, drink, want, you know, want to come to a wine store. But when you talk to a lot of people, uh, they'll tell you straight up, you know, oh my God, I'd love to come to your wine store, or, but I don't know a lot about wine. I'm scared. I want to go to that restaurant, but I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know a lot about wine. And to me, I've yeah. always found that to be peculiar because I'm like, you know, wait, why? As an industry, right. it's, it's foul that we have people that are afraid to participate because of their because of some strange barrier of entry that's only there to make people feel better than right. the rest of the population. Right. And so to me, the best way to kind of do that was to create a atmosphere and experience that, you know, shuns that in a way, mm. but, you know, and we kind of do that with a few kind of Trojan horses. And for me, it's number one, to create a room that's inviting to everyone, um, and a space. And that's by the way we communicate with people. Mm. Um, and then two by, creating another barrier of entry. And for me, the most, one of the most relatable things to do or talk about with a lot of people is music. Hmm. Um, so if you walk into graph, the first thing you'll see are records on the shelves, nice. which to me is like the inc- most important icebreaker. You can see things that are relatable to your history. You know, yeah. I'm a, I grew up in the nineties. So you'll see like a, a bunch of like fancy records, but you'll see like usher my way up on there. So yeah. it's like the, one of the first laughs you'll have. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, immediately you're it like, I have tone. something to contribute. I have something to talk about. You're not going to see a bunch of like wine maps where you're confused about what you're looking at. Right. And some nonverbal communication right up front. This is who we are. This is what we represent. Exactly. This is what you can expect. Exactly. Here. It's a different kind of wine. Show. And you know, yeah. And you don't need to know what my background is and why and it's not really important. The important thing is to you is number one, how are you going to feel when you walk in mm. and also how are you going to feel when you walk out? Mm. And that's what I'm obsessed with. So hmm. yeah. Talk to me about the music on those shelves. Are you spinning vinyl LPs at the shop There's, or uh, you, you know, playing Spotify when playlists? We, when we first, yeah, you know, when we first opened, we were playing a lot more vinyl. Mm. Um, and uh, I think the busier we got, the, we realized how much, you know, more intense if it is to kind of curate mm-hmm. a vinyl selection th- for service throughout the day. Um, so we kind of cut back on that. And right now what we do is we kind of play a lot of Spotify or, you okay. know, or, um, actually, um, I use a lot of title actually cause the quality is better, but, um, title. Yeah. yeah. High, high resolution. <laughs> high end, right, exactly for sure. <laughs> so if you want to give people the right yeah, experience, you got to right. go all, uh, and do it. As they got all the songwriting can. credits. Yeah. On title and as well. so, yeah, the, the music at the store, or the shop or the bar or whatever you want to call it is, is definitely very curated. You know, we make monthly playlists for the store. And then I also kind of really encourage the staff to play full albums if possible. I personally love live albums at the, at the bar mm. because it gives you the feeling like you're in the green room, green room at a concert. Ooh, I, like and I love that. that feeling. I like that idea. Um, of just feeling like I'm in the private lounge the concerts going on you know so yeah 
that's really fun. That's very cool. Yeah, I, yeah. I never thought about kind of. It's almost like you're piping in, kind of like a, a an additional din, right? Yeah. To kind of like set the scene. Exactly. And you have such a small shop that I'd imagine it's probably this like um, you know fun challenge to try to create that energy, but not let go of that intimacy that comes with a small shop. Yeah. So you're piping in kind of like additional voices or the hum of a crowd and you walk in and I'd imagine that when things are really humming on a Saturday night, people don't realize they're in a how many square foot shop? Just like 1,200 square 1200 feet. 1,200 square yeah. feet, it probably feels like 12,000. Right? Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, I mean, I've, I've been, I've spoken with people who've been, it also feels like you're in a 10 square foot shop at times because you're sitting up at the bar. You're meeting somebody else who maybe feels as welcomed as you do into this brave new world, right? Or maybe you're speaking to the bartender, or you're speaking to you, Femi, yeah. and they're learning a little bit something about wine, and they're forging a relationship they didn't know that they could forge in a wine shop. This place that once seemed so foreign and elitist and scary and unapproachable, right? But you're yeah. making it accessible. But I, I crave that intimacy. Mm. You know, if you go to, you know, European wine spaces or if you go to like, you know, taste domains with producers, it's a very intimate experience. So I actually, I'm not actually interested in being in a large space. What mm. I love is a small intimate space because even in Charleston, if you walk by a, a very large, you know, restaurant or bar, it's not very busy. You're less likely to go in there actually versus a small space where you feel like, just you and maybe your friend. It's the perfect just amount of energy that you can mm. have there. That intimacy to me is really key, important to, I think, having a, a really great space in Charleston. I mean, I mean, you can obviously do it with a very big space, but I think in the city, small spaces where your 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 employees, your small team can have an impact, I think it's really incredible. Yeah. I worked for a PR team in New York City yeah. very briefly in another lifetime, and I remember the uh, the individual for whom I worked was always talking about, we had a number of restaurant accounts and a couple of bar accounts, and he was always talking about how, you know, these photos look great, but you're, you're, you're showing me a very large and empty dining room, right? And it's like well outfitted, and I could see myself there, but I prefer a sort of tighter frame with people in it. And, you know, if you're not going to show their faces or you're going to be creative about how you do that, then that's great. But I want to be able to actually, like, feel like I'm in there and this is the sort of space that is actually accessed by real-life human beings. And I want to see what it looks like to be living and creating and talking and breathing in that space. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, people aren't here to hear about my past professional <laughs> career in PR. They want to hear more about you, Femi. So let's take it way back to the beginning of Femi, the yeah. man, all right? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> we can go as far back as you'd like. But I think a lot of people, whether they're reading about your incredible accolades and awards and write-ups in uh, Wine Enthusiast Magazine or Bon Appetit, they have a sort of general idea of what you're doing now here in Charleston and the sort of impression you're making on this community. And we'll dig more into it. But I want to know, like, set the stage for me. How did it come to be that you, you wound up here? I know you went to school at College of Charleston, but like walk me through some of the steps that sent your life on this trajectory pre-Charleston. You know, it's just really been um, a falling set of dominoes the last okay. 20 years. <laughs> I've just been, cool. I've been riding a wave, actually. And, <laughs> cool, tell me about you it. You know, it's funny, I, I was talking to my mother recently, I was just telling her, I've just been riding a wave and adjusting, you know, wow. the entire time. Mm. Uh, That's one long wave. Yeah, why why, why sure. a wave? Why do you characterize it that way? Because uh, I think when I was growing up, you know, as a teenager, you know, I, I, I was walking into life thinking I would have all this control in mm. terms of what I'd be able to do and where I'd be able to go. And I realized very quickly, 
um, when I turned 18, that I really didn't have any control. Um, and I think that, you know, threw me down for a very long time, hmm. um, or, you know, relative, but I think I, you know, we kind of talk about, you know, coming over the water, hmm. you know, I came out understanding that not having the control is okay, but where I set my feet after each turn would be more important. So hmm. after every fall or tumble, you know, you know, how I kind of rolled out of it. It's like, you know, when you like, you're walking in Charleston, you hit the sidewalks and then if you're not from <laughs> right. here, you know, you hit yeah. that bump. But it's how you kind of like play. Broken ankle. Yeah, you know, it's how you like kind of like, you know, come yeah. out of it, you know, like, I'm good, you know, <laughs> right, you didn't right. see that. You didn't right. see right. that. No one saw that, yeah. yeah you, but exactly. you're suddenly half running and everybody saw exactly. that. Exactly. So, you know, for me, you know, everything would happen, I would just adapt, you know, for hmm. instance. So I came to school here and, you know, and it, it kind of coincided with a lot of issues happening in my family and I had to step out for... Uh, for some time and then I came back and um, because I had an incredible wealth of, of friends that I'd met here and uh, we were talking about Mike Quinn and he was one of those and there's a long story there but Mike Quinn has been really important to me staying in the city who's Mike time. who's Mike Quinn he's a local saxophone musician okay uh, musician he's okay. The, in a band called Doom Flamingo amongst various projects actually just to say one this does not do him enough credit okay uh, but uh, one of the most important people in my life did you meet him through music? I met him actually in college. Okay. Yeah. Were and you running in the we same We bonded circle? because of music. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> For sure. And, uh, you, know, um, I, you know, I came down here and I, you know, I, I left and then I came back and I didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, and um, I think actually I started playing gigs with Mike Quinn, you know, um, as soon as I got back. And I was thinking about going back to school, but I knew I needed to, to pay my way. So Let, let's pause there just stuff. for a sec. Yeah. So you're playing gigs with Mike Quinn. Yeah. Mike Quinn's on sax. Mike yeah. Quinn of, uh, of Charleston-based Doom Flamingo, yeah. right? Uh-huh. You both met each other at school. What's Femi doing in this snapshot I think in I my came mind? back as like a, a horn player. I brought my horn when I came back. But I okay. thought, but I think we realized after a session of we were living together, we were, you know, jamming in the okay. in the apartment. And I think we realized that like, I had this kind of style where I would like flow between singing and rapping. I don't know. It was very organic. And we did it one time. We'd been drinking and hanging out. And it was just one of those times where it just was like, whoa, that was fun. And they're like, we should just do that more. So you set the horn down and then <laughs> yeah. you just break out organically yeah. into this kind of singing, rapping hybrid. And yeah. it just worked. It just worked. Man. And we just kept on doing it for a long time. We did it for years, Mike and I. We were a duo. Would, did you flesh it out? Or I this never was went just anywhere like, without him. <laughs> this was like a Simon and Garfunkel vibe, or were you no, fleshing out? No, I the mean band? there were other people involved. I, my friend Adam Williams, who's gone on to become a really great drummer. Okay, um, and so you had a little percussion, yeah, backbeat going on. There, there's a bunch of us. Dave Grimm, my, my friend Alec. We we all played together for years, but. Um, all right, we, so I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. So I just wanted the, the people to understand that there's a kind of a musical genesis story yeah. here. And then now we're shifting slowly but surely into hospitality and wine so, in Charleston Place. Yeah, eventually. so I think at the time, you know, uh, Mike and uh, Dave were um, in the music program at CFC. And um, they had talked about this giant, um, Quentin Baxter, mm. um, who to them was, you know, a god almost and you know they were they're like oh my god you know so uh one of these share for everybody who quentin Quentin is a a drummer in town but Mm -hmm. musician excuse me Mm -hmm. and he's to me uh, one of the most important pieces of the puzzle when it comes to talking about the history of and the rise of music in charleston Mm -hmm. um, particularly jazz and um 
Um, obviously a Grammy Award winner now with his band Ranky Tanky, but has played with, you know, other winners, uh, Renee Marie, uh, a multitude of different musicians. And, you know, I went to see Esperanza Spalding like 15 years ago in Savannah. And of course, I look on stage and Quentin is drumming. So, I mean, it's just, it's nonstop. (laughs) The guy's everywhere. And uh, so Quentin, you know, was playing at the Charleston Grill. And I remember going to watch Quentin play one time and they were just like, oh my God, he's incredible. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to go play, apply to work at that restaurant that Quentin worked. I'm like, that's got to be the best restaurant in town. I'm going to apply there. And I got hired. And wow. So Quentin's <laughs> playing at Charleston Grill. Absolutely. Let's see me applying for a job. He's playing, <laughs> he's playing at Charleston Grill. And that's why you're, that's the only reason you were there. In I applied there night. with the, only the knowledge that Quentin Baxter played there. <laughs> that's only, the only thing I knew. I was like, Quentin Baxter plays here yeah. and it's a swanky restaurant. Right. This must be a cool place to work. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean that, you know, just like <laughs> there are moments of serendipity and fortuity and like lives intersect and crisscross. Yeah. And sometimes you can't explain it, but that had a momentous impact on the trajectory of your life. Yes. So Quentin Baxter. I've never actually told Quentin that actually, and I talk to him all the time. I maybe I have. I don't know. Quint, Quentin, Ranky Tanky, <laughs> thank you for in many ways giving us Femi and his incredible uh, <laughs> wine knowledge. Uh, the country and the community of Charleston, thank you. Yes. Uh, okay, so bring me past Charleston. So Grove. yeah, um, so I just worked in that restaurant for years. I cut my teeth. The wine director there, Rick Rubel, was I think one of the great. Excuse me. St- uh, is one of the great wine teachers, um, I think, just around. And you learned under him. Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, What'd would you not learn? be in wine if it was not for Rick? Mm. Um, he just has a particular way about talking about wine, about teaching wine, telling stories. That I don't care if you don't like wine. There's no way that you were not curious. If Rick told you a story, you went home and you followed up. He just had a great way of sharing stories, and he's you know, and he's such a chill, you know, human being and. Um, and, and just really interested in really just spending his time sharing. And mm. so I would just go home, I would read, follow up, and I would just, it just became a part of my life that I would, just, I would just buy wine books. I was just curious because this guy would just tell these great stories. It's like when you're a kid, your parents tell you a story and then yep. you want the rest. Yeah. I would just like, I'm like, I have to find out more. <laughs> I wasn't even <laughs> right, sure right. what I was doing that at one point he was just like, is this for fun or is this work? Like, what do you want to do? Do you need help? Mm. And I said, yes. And you know, like it's, it's all for, history from there. Yes, it's yeah. for fun and for work. Yeah, How I mean, can I, I said, get more. Yeah, and he was like, "I'm willing to spend some time to help you out." And we carved out Saturdays. He said, "Bring some friends." I brought some friends to taste with us, and it was a tasting group that lasted about five years. But that really served as the, really the what you know started my career, um, or started what became my career. I'm a big this fan. tasting group. Yeah. It's incredible. I'm a I'm a big fan myself. Uh, it sounds like you probably aren't in in some ways of micro history so books that are about something seemingly mundane and maybe specific but the way in which the story is told and the framing that the author is able to construct creates curiosity and it almost doesn't matter who you are right if you just give it a little bit of time suddenly you're reading about the history of the garbage can is amazing (laughs) yeah what uh, and it's like, wow, it went from this material to that material. And wow, yeah. like it changed because banana peels do this certain weird thing. But it's just told in such a way, right? So yeah. tell me about the importance of storytelling. You talked about experience as being something that you weave intentionally into your, your shop downtown. Yeah. You talk about Rick Rubel at Charleston Grill. Under his tutelage, you realize that telling stories is largely what inspires people to 
access wine uh-huh. and feel more confident about doing so. Like, talk to me more about stories think, and experience. I think, well, I think, you know, I think you, you know, can definitely, you know, relate because I realized very quickly that talking about wine is very similar to talking about music. It's mm. the same energy you take or you give rather. So for instance, you know, we were talking about Fela Kuti earlier and, you know, anyone that has had the joy of sharing Fela with someone that's not familiar knows the thrill of watching someone, you know, it's like if you watch that movie Garden State when she puts the headphones on her ears it's and it's like change the shins. Life. The shins carrying <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's that, but it's slang, that moment slang, yeah. where you, you watch in her eyes, just like, right. cool. Yeah. And But it's yeah. that same feeling when you put someone with the Fela Kuti for the first time. They're like, yeah. well, this is amazing. This like thunderous <laughs> drumming and African you know, yeah. uh, rhythm. And then this guy starts singing and okay. blaring his horn. It's amazing. And uh, I realized that you know, when you tell the story of like Fela Kuti, and you know how you need to get into the music to me it's the same thing with wine when mm. i talk about you know whether it be a champagne producer who i find to be exciting exhilarating and i put it, a glass in front of you and you taste it for the first time you're like it's not that you're hearing the music but you're tasting it mm. and to me it's the same sensation because it's it's phenomenal when you i'm you know i think my love language is 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 gift giving mm. and you know whether that be sound or taste Mm. it to me is all the same and uh so being able to give someone the gift of something that sounds great or tastes great it it satisfies me in the same the same heartbeat so i i love it and um i i discovered that telling stories uh whether it be the music stories that i love uh from things i heard growing up or what i spend my time listening to or the wines that i discover you know it's it's all the same i you know um so i love to sell wine yeah. And uh, I also love to talk about music at the same time. And if you're more interested in one or the other, I'm cool with whichever direction you want to go. And they work together so often, yeah. right? Because I think some of the greatest wine experiences I've ever had were because, I mean, Miles will tell you this, like we've had nights where we just blare like, you know, random records on vinyl. I was actually at a great vinyl party on Sunday. We Everybody got to bring a record and play their favorite record. And it was so much fun. But we were all drinking incredible champagne. Was it the champagne we were there for? No. You know, was it the music they were there for? No. We were there to hang out with our friends. But they certainly made it more fun. Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to figure out where you want to go on vacation, right, you could stumble on something. You Google, you know, pretty palm trees, beautiful weather this time of year. You end up going there. You probably have a lovely time, right? Yeah. It's probably just a pleasant experience. You could probably go to the same exact place. But if you have a conversation with a trusted source, a friend, a family member, somebody who's been there before, and they're giving you sort of an inside scoop, now they're telling you about the history of those palm trees, and they're saying, yeah, the weather's good this time of year, but you're really going to want to hit this particular tiki bar right at 5 p.m. It's the golden hour, and you're going to want to ask this bartender this thing, and, oh, make sure to go off the beaten track on Tuesday, and if they ask where you're going, tell them, like, you're headed off in this direction, but you're really going... The point is, like, you could be at the same place, but curation and framing and referrals from dependable sources is, like, everything, right? That's half of it. That's the story. Of course. So tell me your your Femi's Garden State, this song will change you forever by the Shins, wine experience. Wine experience. So you're putting a glass of wine in front of somebody. This wine will change your life. And this may be someone you have a little bit of relationship with. It may not be. This may be someone writing Graf Wine Shop. But you're pushing that, that, that wine their way and telling them, 
just taste it. I don't need to give you much storytelling, but I'm framing it enough to let you know this is going to be life-altering in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. What would that be? I'm sure you got a what few. What would that be? Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's a million opportunities yeah, yeah, for yeah. something. But, you know. Pick one. We won't, we won't hold it to it as, be, to you as yeah. being the only one you'd pick. You know, maybe some champagne is always, okay. like, to me, one of the most exciting ways because champagne is celebratory, and it's something where, if it's obviously tasty, you know. Cool. Um, so maybe like some, like Ulysses Colon, one of my favorite growers in Champagne, his, um, uh, his wines are pretty, I think, fantastic. And for people that don't, maybe don't know a lot about wine, it's one of those things where it's, it's the shins experience in your headphones, you know, it's just <laughs> yeah. like, oh, this is what y'all been doing. It's right, you right. wine people. This is, this is what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all yeah. <laughs> been holding out. This is what's up. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's more for than sure. just, it's more than just a random glass. Yeah. I mean, his wines are mesmerizing, but you know, for me, I, I try to find what, I listen to people. I spend a lot more time listening than talking because mm -hmm. I've already made my selection. What you see in the store is my selection. So mm -hmm. what I try to do is I try to find out what's good for you um, within what I have. And tell me more about selecting because here we are in Charleston. Sure, it's a, you know, it's a gastronomical food and bev alcohol hospitality destination for folks. And that's increasingly becoming the case, particularly uh, for folks across the globe. Um, you know, so we're not talking about, you know, New Hope, Pennsylvania, which is a cool town. There's only 2,500 people there. This is an international destination, but still, I feel like there's probably, uh, some room to grow in the wine world. So how are you making that happen? You only, you mentioned your store's 1200 square feet. That's by design. Mm -hmm. You've created a really cool curated intimate space. You've only got so many places to put bottles of wine. Your inventory can only be so large. How do you winnow that down, jettison that down, and only pick the best? What goes into that formula for you? Yeah, so it's actually pretty exciting. And, um, you know, we are a small store, but we're not, we don't really necessarily have a small selection. I actually would say that our selection is actually, it's it's it's, it's pretty decent for what you'd expect from okay. the size of the store. We've actually figured out a really great way um, to, to store and to present wine. Cool. Um, but, um, yeah, our, our selection is very tight. Um, you know, we basically have categories and we have a finite amount of wines that we can place in per category and everything's organized from price. So the, you know, from the lowest price to the highest price. Okay. And so what you see on the shelf is actually a reflection of what we think is the most important wine right now to taste in this genre. And then also for this, this price point. So you can very well walk into graph and say, I'm looking to taste this type of wine. Um, but I also want to spend this much this and, my budget. And, and what you see on the shelf is what I'm, my statement is, or miles and I statement is on that exact idea. Okay. Um, but, um, so it's, it, it's we, organized almost as a grid. It's very approachable and yes. folks know sort of exactly where they want to at least begin. Looking. I think most people walk into a wine store with an idea, maybe not knowing specifically what they want, but I think you know how much you want to spend. Yeah. And I think that's something that we walked into our store knowing is that, a lot of our friends walk into a store and they say, I want to spend 60 bucks. I want three bottles of wine. Mm. And then we have a conversation beyond that. But I think getting to that point was, was huge. Yeah. Um, moving mountains just by understanding that for, I think for a lot of your customers is where they're at. Where do you, how do you draw the line between giving people what you think or know that they want and piquing people's interests and getting them onto things that they'd never expect they'd like? Uh, well, you know, my job as a sommelier is I'm a wine steward, actually. So I'm actually, you know, in many ways, the least important part of the experience because mm. I'm just there by design to help them get from point A to point B. You know, interesting. I'm the the 
I'm the, you know, the boat from one side to another. Got it. And uh, so I tried to remove my opinion as much as possible. Um, I simply talked to ask them a, a, f- a few questions and I find out what they're looking, what you are looking to um, gain from your experience at Graft. Cool. And if I think that maybe you want maybe a, some sort of like um, a highlight for me in terms of like another direction, then I'll give that to you. Okay. But if I can kind of sense that that's not what you want, you have an idea, then that's what you also get. I just try to by design kind of fit what I think is best for your experience and then step away because mm-hmm. I didn't make the wines. Right. I'm just there to, you know, get the right wine in your hands Interesting and to do that as, you know, as frictionlessly as frictionlessly possible. As possible. Oh, fascinating. And then once I get the wine in your hands, the most important part, if you're staying with us is to give you a five star Yelp review. That too. Oh, no, but, there's something. <laughs> it's to get you a great experience. Yeah. And so we focus on by that, on that by, by giving you great hospitality and then giving a great experience, whether it be what you hear. Um, and put and an Usher album up Yeah, front. exactly. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever heard it put quite that way, but I also am not, you know, as familiar as, as probably many people are with sort of like the, the division of labor and the understanding of roles and responsibilities in the wine world between mm-hmm. stewards and sommeliers yeah. and the list goes on. How do you, Femi... Um, assure quality in curation and experience when you're just one guy and you've got one co-owner and I think maybe one other employee. Yeah. Well, we have a, a team of like six actually, but okay. um, I'm, I guess no, I'm no, no. Sir, well, I'm our manager. Yeah. Our leadership. Excuse me. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, well, you so know, I guess my question is then how yeah. do you confer your, your uh, quality ideals and um, your knowledge of wine and your kind of under, your unique understanding of what you want graft to impress upon people to the rest of your team. I mean, to ensure that every time someone comes in, there's a consistency of experience and there's an expectation. This is going to be a phenomenal night because I'm going to graft. Well, you know, I learned a lot from my experience at Charleston Girl working under Mickey Bax and Rick Rubel. So when it comes to hospitality and giving a certain experience to someone, I think is something that is a part of my core. Mm. Um, so it's very important. Actually, we just finished our staff training just about an hour ago and we just go over a lot of our ideals in, when it comes to service. Mm. You know, we go over a lot of the philosophy, what great service is frequently because, you know, the wine stuff in terms of the quality is something that's, that is a lot of what my job is. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I nerd out on the most, but you know, I, you know, what you see on the shelf is, I mean, it's a statement. If it's on the shelf, I think it's a high quality wine. And I always kind of say that we're, my job is to pick out the wines on the shelves. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, let's say if you're coming in for a drink, that job is already done. If mm-hmm. you walk into the store, you're, mm-hmm. you're going to walk out with something I've already picked out. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, most of the work on my end is already done in terms of what I found to be quality and relevant um, to the wine world or to your experience. And so, you know, we just work on a foundation of good hospitality. And I think once you have that magical combination of hospitality and well-picked, well-curated wine, and you know, good atmosphere. Um, it's magical. What's your favorite part of the equation? Because it, it's occurring to me as I'm speaking with you that there are a lot of different roles that make a hospitality experience from a customer's perspective a successful one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And one that's unique and one of a kind. So do you, and, and you, may, you may like both of these equally, or you may feel differently about one over the other, but... I'm wondering, and there's probably other roles I'm not even thinking of, yeah. but th- there seems to be a natural bifurcation or at least a natural division between 
um, at the very least, two sort of major roles and approaches to setting up a good hospitality experience. One is, as you just mentioned, sort of the mise en place, right? The, yeah. uh, the, the, the setting the stage, right? And making sure you've picked the right wines. You've made this place, place look really cool. You've gone ahead and premeditatively chosen all the right songs that you think are going to complement that experience. And then on the other side, there's, okay, lights, camera, action, right? The, the stage is set, and now the show has begun. Yeah. And we got to get out there. We got to show people a good time, right? It's like the, the, the dance motivator at a uh, bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to to, to, to uh, extemporaneously choose a probably not great metaphor that doesn't really make much sense to people who aren't familiar with bar mitzvahs. But the point is, you've got your staff out there saying, all right, all of this has been set up. Now I am here to sort of guide you on that last mile. Which of those did you do you prefer? Because you're a guy who's hands-on and you're in the shop doing yeah. both of those. Yes. Which do you prefer? I mean, I I, en- I enjoy the total. The you know mm. the okay. yeah. It's I enjoy all the layers. You know, I think graph to me is very much like theater. There are so many parts that come to creating the show, whether it be curating the wine, you know speaking with your staff about the way they talk to people about wine is actually, I find to be one of the most important things is mm. just the conversations that you have with people. Um, and then how they feel when they sit down, what happens when they sit, you know, what's the first thing they get, you know, how do they get it and what time, mm. you know, um, you know, uh, I think all of it is love very it. fun to me and I, I love it all, you know, and I'm very, you are right. I'm, I'm very hands-on in all of it and I've got an opinion in everything. You but gotta be. You that's gotta also be. kind of the joy of, yeah. you know, Tough, yeah. to, tough to disentangle. Yeah. Uh, well, whatever you're doing, you're doing it right. And uh, my hat is off to you and your team. You have curated an incredible selection of wine, but more importantly, you have crafted through what you have and have not chosen and the ways in which you have activated those things and those people and those wines an experience unlike any other here in Charleston, perhaps unlike any other in the continental United States, quite frankly. Um, have not been to every wine shop in the country, <laughs> but I've uh, been to a few um, in my travels, and so I think I can say that somewhat confidently. So again, congrats to what you've done so far in the wine space here in Charleston, and, and thanks for being part Thank of our, our local business community. We're gonna, I'm not going to let go of you yet, but uh, I want to let folks know if you're just tuning in, we're chatting with Femi of Graft Wine Shop. Not going to even attempt the last name. How rude of me. But listen, if I, uh, if I don't do a good job, is that more rude than not saying it at all? Femi O. Oyedirin? You're close. Oyedirin. Oyedirin. Nigerian Yoruba is a very tonal language. So Oyedirin. You almost kind of sing it a little bit. Okay. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. He's a musical man. Even nomenclaturally speaking, is that a word? Probably not. But somewhere in there, there's a word. I promise. Uh, Femi is here on the mic at 96.3 Ohm FM. It is your, if you're a Charlestonian and you're listening live, it is your local community-supported commercial free radio station. We're so lucky to have them. I'm lucky to be able to bounce off from work for an hour every other week to have these conversations. I think they're important ones, and I love being able to shine a light on some of our business owners, our local decision makers, the people who are moving and shaking here in Charleston doing really cool things. I'm particularly excited when I got somebody in the studio who talks music. I want to bounce back to the music thing just for a second here, oh, yeah. Femi. The reason I first decided to, to see whether you might have a couple of minutes to chat with me is because I was reading a Charleston City Paper article, I want to say a few weeks ago, maybe a month or a month uh, and a half yeah. ago now. It was sort of framed as, this is the guy to know 
if you want to understand better the sort of uh, connections between curating wine lists and curating playlists. And they were quoting you as, as saying, you know, it might, it might sound a little cliche, but I, I think of them very similarly. Talk to me more about that. Yeah, because, you know, when you, I, I love two things. I love looking at, looking through or, you know, poking through someone's collection of music because it really does say a lot about the person, especially if you kind of like understand the music to a certain degree, completely. you know, and it could be any genre, like, I've, you know, whether it be hip hop, jazz, whatever, you know, you listen to what someone finds to be important and you learn a lot about them or where they are in their journey of music. And I find that to be a really, really great way of understanding someone. Because there might be someone 100%. you might find even the most quiet person in the world right. and you see their music collection Slayer. and then you're like, I had no idea. Megadeth, wow. There are layers to you, man. Like, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And with wine too, you know, once you really, when you're in it, you know, and it, and it took me a long time to get in it. Um, but when I finally like really found my voice in wine and I really started to see it, it was like the magic eye where I started to really understand. Mm. And, and um Looking, I love reading wine list at restaurants around the world. It's one of my favorite things to do. What, well, for the uninitiated, what is a wine list? A wine list is, is literally the list of wines okay. that a restaurant has for sale. Got it. Um, so you're walking and, into a restaurant, you're, you've got your menu, and then you're asking for that wine list. Oh, and, I love to read wine lists. And I you find them it. online? or You can find them online. Okay. I love to read them online. You go to a restaurant, it's like, oh, read through the book. And <laughs> so Talk it to me says, about your, your process. It, I feel like most people are yeah. like, wine list, it's just a menu. I'm looking at it, oh, I'm just no. picking what I want. Me, Tell me how you read me, through it. To me, you know, a wine list is, I mean, we, we all go through the industry of, of, or our history in the working industry to learn and to study wine and to gain knowledge and you know, to me, your wine list is your opportunity to say, what have you learned? And mm. whether it be, and a lot of wine lists are organized by region or whatever, however they're organized. And to me, it's, it's a statement piece on, on, again, what you've learned and what you want to share with your customers. And it, to me, it's one of the most intimate things you can do in, in wine. And so, yes, I, I read people's wine lists and I, it's the same experience that I have of, you know, digging through someone's music collection. And mm. I think that your wine list is a statement of your Spanish wines, your French wines, what you think about champagne and, you know, what you think about Chenin Blanc or what you think about Sauvignon Blanc. Like these are the wines I find to be important. I find some of the most impassioned wine lists to be incredible. In fact, my favorites, I, I, fr I, I get them printed and I get them bound if they're online mm. and I save them when I find one that I think is like incredible. And wow. yeah, because I, I, to me, it's the utmost respect. Um, to have a wine list that I think is really fantastic. So it's like having an LP cover, like signed and framed. But when you look at these wine lists and you see them as being an assembly of someone's yeah. tastes and interests and you know what they you know they find to be important, you realize it's the same thing with making a playlist. Mm -hmm. Like you make a playlist and you're making a statement, you know, and you can make different styles of playlists. You can be like, well, I want to focus on this or I want to focus on that. You can do the same thing in the world of wine. You can be like, I want to focus on very light you know, Mediterranean style reds, or you can be like, I want to focus on high acid white wines from, mm. from, you know, the North of France, you know, that could be what I want to do today. Or you can, and to me, there's so much flexibility and there's so much opportunity mm -hmm. to, you know, be artistic in a way. And, mm. you know, playlists are, you know, I think you can say whatever you want about them, but I find joy in making playlists. I think that you can make, you can actually curate a feeling, you know, with a playlist and with wine, I think it's also incredible to be able to do that. You can, and I think actually with, with wine, when I talk about playlists, what I love is when I used to work at Charleston Grills, you can do a tasting menu and you mm. can pair wines and mm. you build, 
yeah. build throughout the entire the entire dinner with each course sequencing. And, yeah, and to me, it's, and when you hear some ways talk about the wines they drank, they'd be like, "Oh, I drank, you know, Mary Corton, you know, Champagne, mm-hmm. moved into Domaine du Collier, Chenin Blanc, right. and then we drank, you know, you know, blah blah blah." And it's literally a playlist of wine they drank the entire night. Right. And you look at the combination, you're like, "Man, that is a crazy lineup." Yeah. And to me, yeah. you look at records, and you're like, "Man, we listen to, you know, yeah, you know, it could be like." Uh, Bill Withers live at the Carnegie Hall, you know, to, you know, B.B. Uh, King uh, live at County Jail or, you know, right, and you're right. like go through all these live yeah. records. You're like, man, you guys had fun last yeah. night. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> right. the same feeling. Right, right. And to me, like, you know, um, that's why I say it. it's the same. It's the same energy. It's the yeah. same excitement. It's like, wow, look at that lineup. Like you guys started here. You ended here. And I love, love that. I love that. I think it's, it's thrilling. And um, to be able to do both in the same room to me is chef's kiss. Has something been uh, lost, gained, or do you feel neutrally about the transition from music and physical media to music as sort of a digital, in this case, in the case of mixtapes, digital list of song, artist, album? What do you think? Well, I think because we're talking wine, right? Which is a very tactile experience. Well, you have no choice. You have to experience wine. You have to get the bottle versus music now. You can pull up your phone and listen to a record. Mm-hmm. But, you know, music, wine is to me is so interesting because it is tangible and it's crazy because you can taste the wines. You can taste a physical product by someone mm-hmm. that was made by someone that's not with us anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we can taste, yeah. you know, a very, very, very famous grower in, in France and Burgundy is a guy named Henri Jaillet. And I think he passed away in maybe, I should know this, maybe like 2005, I think. I can't recall. That might have been his last finish. But, you know, we can still taste... Henri's wines today and his wines going back into the seventies, mm. you know, mm. uh, you know, or even earlier, you know, mm-hmm. I think he took over making the wines at the, this very famous domain in like the forties, actually, I think is when he came on as like a winemaker or whatever. And mm-hmm. we can still taste his wines today and he's long gone and you can taste generations and you go to like visit, uh, even in Germany, you can visit the uh, families that have wines from like a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. but you can taste someone's work. Right. 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 <laughs> and the fruit they experience in their lifetime. Right. Right. <laughs> to me, that's insane, you know, to taste. And so, you know. And you're listening to music, but to continue with your metaphor, your analogy, and I agree with it, I think it's a, it's a really fitting one. The wine that you're tasting that was made by this individual's hands, and this individual may or may not even be with us, is sort of a rarefied, though there's a whole batch, right, of these wines, it is a rarefied, scarce, singular artifact. Yes. That encapsulated, captured, crystallized a moment in time when the grapes were such and the vines were such and the weather was really good or really bad or really weird. Or whatever it is. Yes. Yes. Music, the band isn't recording the song and then recording the music to an artifact and then like doing typically not doing sort of a limited run and then that's it. Right. They recorded this in 75, unless of course it's a live but performance. A live recording is right. a captured right. moment right. in time that you can live over and over Great and point. over again. Great point. Hopefully. Great point. So to me, that's also mesmerizing is like, you know, for instance, we at the final party I was at on Sunday, hmm. I brought this, um, record from this Nigerian reggae band from the seventies called sweet breeze. I don't think anyone had ever heard it before. Mm. I think it's kind of like a rare record, whatever you want to call it. But, um, it, it plays like a live album. I think it's the live recording. So it, nice. but it's amazing. Start to finish. You can just mm-hmm. leave it on. And, but it's a moment of time. You hear these guys singing, you hear right. them, 
plane and it's 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 very um it's very 3d the experience yes. of, of listening to yes. it um you feel like you're right there right the clicks the hisses yeah. the imperfections yeah. are perfect it's ama- yeah. and it rounds out the experience it's amazing yeah. to me i mean I, I i i agree with you that there is something magical and timeless and important about capturing something and then making it available to people and sort of uh, framing it in a way that they can fully enjoy every aspect of it. Yeah. What do you do? So and to that, to that end, your playlists are put out there and you're playing music for folks and you're making those playlists available for them after the fact is there, and there may not be, and, that, and that's fine too. I'm just curious since you obviously are so in tune with the importance of educating folks or at least getting them to where they want to be in your mm-hmm. words as, as sort of a steward and navigator do you ever have you ever thought about getting folks to where they want to be in an audio sense from, you know, I, I'm coming in, I want this, this or this. And, and you tell him as someone who obviously knows his music, well, you're going to want to listen a little of this. And then this was an influence of that band. And then if you liked that, check out this limited run of, of this particular album. Like, do you see yourself in that space in the music world as a sort of navigator? And yeah. how so? Yeah, of course. I think when the conversation you know, presents itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Because again, we, we talked about this. A lot of people don't know a lot about wine and mm-hmm. which is fine. And I'm here to tell you that we don't have to talk about wine. I'm going to put a delicious glass of wine in your, put us in your glass mm. and we can completely talk about something else. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And you know, that's, you know, to me, that's life, yeah. right? Wine is not the main course. Right. And I know Love that it. and it doesn't need to be, but the main course is the experience we have. Mm. We're talking about music right now. I'm having yeah. a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. If we had a great bottle of wine right now, it'd be even Appreciate more fun. I'm sliding one hundred dollars. I should have brought one. <laughs> you know, I'm so. sliding a one hundred dollar bill and yeah. to Femi. You can't see that, but that's for the compliment he just yeah. paid me. Appreciate that. Kind sir. Um, I agree with you. I think that, you know, art uh, or whether it's wine or music or some other very human experience is an important uh, not necessarily destination, can be, in some cases should be, but always is or can be the impetus or the catalyst or the magnet for these important human connections. Yeah. And I'm all about that too. And so you go to a concert, sometimes it's not about, oh, he he played uh, the, the, the G minor chord in such a cool way that night. Do you remember that? It's like, I met this really cool person or I had this really crazy beer in Asheville at that show or man, do you remember what happened out in the parking lot? You know, it's, it sets the scene for important human moments. Yes. And that's what I love about it as well. Yeah. And that's what I love about your wine shop. So we got Femi here, Graf wine shop, shop Femi Oyediran. That's good. All right. We're getting better. We're getting better. That's good. I think my mother would be happy. Oh, <laughs> Let's get that recording out there, Grace. Uh, you heard it here first. I uh, I didn't butcher the name for once. We got Femi here, Graf Wine Shop. We are lucky to have him as part of our business ecosystem here, but also just as one of our neighbors. He's an incredible man. I'm just I'm getting to know him right now. Uh, know his wine, know his uh, curatorial inclinations, but have not met him until just now, and we're face to face, which is rare these days, right? We're just coming out of a once in a lifetime pandemic which has switched things up in big ways and small ways. And I'm sure the wine industry, the food and bev industry, the hospitality industry, Femi has also seen its fair share of uncertainty over the last few years. Tell me how things are sort of roaring back or how things will be changed forever. What sort of um, chapters are you, you know, 
seeing get unfolded now that we're coming out on the other end of this once in a lifetime global pandemic? You know, I think that it's always important to, you know, uh, I think break down the experience. Um, mm. And I think we experience a very unique, um, I don't know, uh, journey throughout mm. the, the, the pandemic, uh, in, even in Charleston. Because you know, opened up in 2018, right? We did, yeah. Okay. So, you know, versus a lot of, I know a lot of restaurants throughout the country closed. Mm. So that's the reality. And I always try to like center that, that, experience when I talk about the pandemic sure. because a lot of people closed their restaurants, lost family businesses. Yep. I think we were very fortunate in Charleston, especially me working in a, a wine business, you know, where we do retail and bar. Mm. Our bar was closed for seven months. It was a learning experience. Um, we learned a lot about, you know, I think we, we had a really great opportunity to focus on our retail experience and actually think we grew it um, mm. uh, to a really, really great, um, a really great point. Um, during the shutdown. And what was that like? You have wine. The, the retail experience at Graft is obviously, sh there's literally shelves of wine yes, there, right? Yes. And people can ask questions about that. But there must have been some sort of, I don't know whether it was mail order, but some additional way for folks to get in contact with you, tell you what you want, and then get connected with that wine, particularly yeah. during COVID. Yeah, right? so we switched actually. So, you know, we actually went from, um, we, we, we um, just went to curbside pickup and shipped orders. Okay. So we were doing a combination. So you could either uh, place an order online and then come pick it up outside, or you could um, uh, get an order shipped to you. So, hmm. you know, we had an online site built within like two days of having to shut down. Wow. I mean, I that's quick. It was all day, all night for like forty eight hours. Wow. Like I will survive this. Wow. You know, when it's a survival mode, you know, a pandemic will teach you <laughs> all about your endurance. I tell you what, <laughs> sounds like it. <laughs> so you know, um, yeah, we we pivoted. And in the best way, I think, you know, because our bar was closed for seven months. That's wild. Seven months and pour a glass of wine in there. And you and, don't uh, have a lot of seats in there, but when it's a 1,200 square foot space, it's yeah. everything right? in yeah, a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it adds. It's interesting, you know, because Graft is a very lively wine shop. And then at 4.30 or 5 p.m., you know, it becomes a very busy wine bar. Um, so, you know, my staff, I would say, was hurt the most because they depend on tips. Mm. But we were able to kind of keep a lot of them on salary for a long time. Wow. And, you know, we, we worked it out. We tried our best, you know, to their level of comfort. And, Good you know, you. actually, really, when they were all ready as a group to open the bar, it was the group decision. Like, you know, we decided in October of, I forget what year now, but, yeah, we, uh, you know, we decided as a group, like, yeah. Oh, are we ready to reopen the bar? And we did. Let's do this. Because um, we mutually all decided it was wow. time. Very democratic. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the shop did very well um, mm. in the retail. So, you know, it, yeah, and uh, we were very lucky, you know, because our business is not food, it's wine. And people were drinking a lot during the pandemic. And your business, um, as so. you've said, is also experience and bringing people together. So was yeah. like a part of your heart just kind of like empty it for was, that seven It was really period? interesting. And you know what? It was, it was amazing, actually, to see the outpouring of support mm. in the weeks following all the shutdowns. I mean, people came out of, er you know, everywhere trying to support. Wow. I just want to buy a bottle of wine because I want to support you guys. Wow. I want to see graft on the other side of this. And that was amazing. I mean, just some of the, some of the gestures some people made, mm. I mean, would literally put tears in, in miles and eyes eyes right now. If we, you know, if we, it was just amazing. <sighs> You know, people just came out to support and, you know, can never under, under, underestimate the resilience of, I think, 
good people in Charleston. It's powerful. Yeah. Uh, tell me about Miles. You're, you're a business, business partner. partner. <clears throat> yeah, no doubt. Number one goofball, graph wine shop, Miles, Miles <laughs> Thomas White. Um, yeah, Miles and I have known each other for a long time. We both met at Charleston Grill in 2008. We were team busboy. And, uh, you know, he's really just been an incredible person to mature with and to grow with. We've changed considerably since the first time we've met. But I think in a good way, I think him and I would both agree when we say that we're yin and yang. We're very two different personalities okay. that Interesting. that somehow merge well and balance each other out, I think, in a very good way. Um, I don't think a lot of people would – I would not encourage a lot of people to go into business with a close friend. But, you know, somehow, <laughs> some way, Miles and I have, you know, <laughs> worked it out. They've turned into a, quite a dynamic duo. Yeah. And, uh, cool. and I love him for it. And um, it's I, – I don't think I – you know, when I think about graft, you know, going into our fifth year, I, I don't think I could do it with anyone else. I've learned that about myself. I'm a very <laughs> particular person and I think I'm very hard to work with, but Miles is, uh, you know, he's, the, he's, he's my wine pairing, <laughs> yeah. man. I'll tell you what, <laughs> you know, he's good. And, uh, <laughs> I like that. so yeah, I really enjoy work with him and he comes from, you know, a really great family. His, 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 both his mother and his father are really important to my life and hmm. both, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, spiritual leaders of graft, you know, they're hmm. just in, in, incredible, incredible people, uh, his whole family, you know, they've really kind of welcomed me into their family and, and likes, and likewise, likewise him, um, took him to Nigeria a few weeks ago. He got oh, cool. to see the homeland. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and his uh, first time in Nigeria. Oh, yeah. First time in Africa, actually. How often do you amazing. go to Nigeria? It had been a while. Okay. It had been a while. So, um, it'd been over a decade. So yeah, wow. it was, it was good to, to go back and hang out with, uh, you know, family, one of my homies, friends, man. Yeah, yeah, family, friends, awesome. and you know, we got to do all the things I wouldn't be doing around family too, like going to clubs and stuff. So. <laughs> love it, love it. It was fun. It was good. Now, does was Nigeria good. have a, a graph wine shop? Uh, Nigeria doesn't equivalent? have a graph wine shop. Okay. Not you know. <laughs> does <laughs> dot, it? Dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Exclusive. Exclusive. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> tuned in on the right day. My mom is like, "What?" She's like, uh, <laughs> "No." Um, so you and miles yin and yang, if you each were a bottle of wine, what are you? And I know you don't pair bottles of wine. I'm I'm stupid about wine. I'm not that stupid. So you're not pairing wine with wine, but if you both had to distill your operational and management styles, right? Who you are as a leader in wine form, hit me with it. Hit you with it. Wow. (laughs) That's hard. That's hard. It's like, it's I like don't a, know. It's like a stab. But I mean, I could really like make anything up. Be like, tell you what, we're like, you know. Right. You could sleek be like, Cabernet Franc from the Loire. Structured, fruity, delicious red wine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> hey, it sounds good to yeah. me. I know some of those words. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, I'll be ordering that on my yeah, next uh, excursion. Over don't worry Graf. about it. Um, <laughs> we're here with a uh, Graph Wine Shop owner, Femi Oyediran. Yes. He is uh, giving us all the goods, telling us about his amazing one-of-a-kind wine shop going on five years open. They've been open since 2018. They, uh, they had a stumbling block that was the COVID pandemic, but they overcome it in uh, really unique ways. We're able to lean on the retail side, but also keep some of their employees uh, on payroll, which is incredible. Um, hats off to them for that. We are really fortunate here in Charleston, as Femi mentioned, to have a lot of businesses uh, particularly in food and bev, which was in some ways most vulnerable, come out the other end of the pandemic just as strong or stronger or with some scrapes, but with an idea how they can uh, get back to where they were. And that's, uh, that's something we love to hear at Low Country Local First, local economic development nonprofit. We've got 500 member businesses, many of whom are restaurants, 
hospitality groups, restaurant groups, bars, uh, graft one day, uh, we'll sign up. I'm sure I'm holding his feet yeah. to the fire live. On that. Um, but, uh, the point is we're in the business of making sure the businesses do well, by being connected with each other and with a populace here in Charleston who understands why it's important to patronize these businesses in good times and in bad we're going to wrap things up in just a minute, but I want to remind everybody it is Eat, Drink, Local Month. It's the 15th year that Low Country Local First has pushed individuals living here in Charleston, the greater Charleston area, throughout the eight counties of the Low Country to patronize their local food and bev institutions, their farmers, their fisher people, their food purveyors, their CSAs, their farmers market vendor stands. They're making food here, sourcing food here, creating beautiful beverages here, or giving you wine you've never had before in a really cool, curated, unique environment. You should make sure to support them. And the best way to do that is monetarily, also conversationally. Like right now, I'm going to count this towards my support of uh, the food bev ecosystem. But listen, seriously... Take your wallets out and go spend some money at a local wine shop like Graft. Go spend some money at a local farm like Hickory Bluff Farms. You don't need to go to Harris Heater to pick up berries that came from 500 miles away and maybe cost the environment an incredibly large ecological uh, footprint of degradation. Um, you can buy it for virtually the same price and it'll be super duper fresh. And then you'll have a story to tell your kids or your family or your neighbors about how great these berries were in there from right down the street. All right, there's no reason not to buy those Hickory Bluff berries. There's no reason not to go to Graft. Not only are you going to get amazing wine, but you're going to meet an incredible individual with whom I am speaking right now. So it's Eat, Drink, Local Month. It ends at the end of this month. We just had our incredibly successful Chef's Potluck the other day. Thanks for coming out to Firefly Distillery. Uh, stay tuned in to everything that Low Country Local First is doing and everything our member businesses are doing and everything our business ecosystem is, is uh, making happen here in Charleston at large. It's an important piece of the puzzle. We are a vibrant community, but we're only as strong as we are connected and supportive of one another. So that's my spiel. I'm off my soapbox. I'm handing it back over to the man of the hour, Femi. He's going to close things out for us. He doesn't know I'm asking him this, but he is in the world of food and bev here locally. He is, and I can tell it, an omnivore, a locavore. He's making sure to eat and drink local. What are some of the spots that you tell people to go to or you go to yourself when you're not working at Kraft? For food or wine? Food and wine. Oh, um, just give us a couple man, of both. You know, obviously Charleston Grill, shout out to where I cut my teeth. Shout okay. out to Andrew Marshall, the wine director, Michelle Weaver, everybody over there. That's my original family in Charleston. Yep. Um, cool. I think for food beyond that, you know, man, there's so many places. Um, shout out to Hannibal's, shout out to, you know, um, um, Chubby Fish, Fig, Ordinary, nice. um, Bao. Um, man, there's so many places. I feel like if I, if I don't, if I don't have a list with everybody, you know, it's not, it's not enough. Right, you got to do everyone. You know, taste of the, you know, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, taste of the Island for Caribbean food. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite spots to eat. I mean, there's so many men. What do you get there? Uh, man, I'm a big fan of oxtail. Ooh. Caribbean delight in North Charleston too. Also banging. Okay. Um, I love Caribbean food. Um, anything rice. Yeah. Oxtail plantains. How's, like, it, how's it? How's it? How's How do you like your oxtail prepared? I've never. This is for the uninitiated. Oh man! Uh, it's like uh, it's like roasted braised. Mm. It's it's amazing. Yeah, you should get some. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, jerk chicken, anything like Ooh, that. That Always sounds good. All right, delicious. folks. Yeah. You, before we get too hungry, lunch just ended, but I'm ready for round two. And maybe I gotta have an early dinner tonight, but. <laughs> the dinner might consist of some form of roasted oxtail. That yeah. sounds incredible. <laughs> if you're with me, maybe I'll see you out there. Uh, otherwise, 
Over and out from Steve Fletcher, your host of Small Talks Big Ideas with Steve. Femi, thank you so much for being here. Best of luck to you moving forward with your wine shop and your wine bar. We're all lucky to have Graft here as part of our community. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much.